0: Combo Nation March Madness is here, and we present you a March Madness-centric episode of Combo's Court. Combo Nation, what up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 350 of Combo's Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that. Subscribe button, share this episode with a friend, share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, share it on your IG stories. Today's show, Randolph, Childress, former NBA and Wake Forest guard, joins in to talk about his run with the Wake Forest Demon Deacons in the ACC tournament in 1995. We also get into current March Madness topics such as St. Peter's Run, Drew Timmy's Pro Outlook, the evolution of college basketball, and more intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it.
1: Kodras, college basketball analyst, former NBA player, former Wake Forest Demon Deacon. Welcome to Combos Court, man. How are you feeling today? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me. Oh, anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I obviously want to talk some current March Madness. I'm excited about it. But let's start with you. Take me back to 1995 Mm -hmm. ACC tournament. What do you remember most about those times?
2: I would just say a level of desperation, you know, it means so much to you when you're a senior and you know, this is your last trip. And I think you see quite a bit of that going on now. Some of the older, some of the more experienced teams that know they're running out of time. There's just a level of desperation that takes over. And you just, you, you tend to leave it all out on the floor. And you saw that with drew Timmy, bringing Gonzaga back. They were down and you saw older veteran guys like, look, I, I don't have a lot of time left. I need to, I need to give this all I got. You guys get on my back let's and let's go until you until you figure things out
1: most definitely you hit the game winning shot versus unc you looked exhausted after that how exhausted were you
2: i was i was done i, I was spent i had left everything out on the court i actually got sick doing the nc double uh, three games in three days played a lot of minutes and, and one of those games was an overtime game and I commend those now that play four and five and then turn right around and go right into the tournament. That's exhausting. So I thought it caught up with us in the tournament. But, you know, it was you know, we had to do what we had to do at that time. We just weren't a team that that was very deep at that time. And, you know, I think like now, some of these teams have been robbed of their bench because guys have gone on and, and they decided to go somewhere else instead of playing the backup role. And I think that's what you see so much parity that's going on nowadays.
1: Most definitely more parody. Uh, before we get to current March Madness talk, what were your initial thoughts of the swimmer from St. Croix named uh, Tim Duncan when you first met him?
2: <laughs> Same thing as it is now. No, he's an ass now. I'm joking. He's, uh, my, my first impression of him was he just, I didn't think he was ready. You know, you you know you didn't think he was ready. He, he was, you heard about Maktar Njai coming in and he had played with Stackhouse and guinness and those guys that don't kill they were number one team in the country he came in with ricky Peral, and ricky Peral was playing in a you know the professional spanish league and was one of the top prospects so you know a swimmer from st croix that had three scholarships I, i'm debating i say it's two i know it was delaware state and wake Forest. the <laughs> argument recently is that providence came into play so i have to ask rick Bonds about that one to to confirm that one but uh I didn't think he was ready and and I was wrong. I mean, he came in and he was kind of thrown to the wolves and uh, didn't have to perform right away. We had a guy named Chalani Owens. That was the experienced guy to kind of help him out. But I don't think any of us saw that coming.
1: So often on this podcast, we talk about the ev- evolution of the NBA game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you played in the mid nineties, seeing what you see now, what has been the evolution? Obviously there's some obvious changes. Like the three point line was a little bit closer when you were playing, but what are the biggest differences in today's game from the times that you were playing? You hear guys talk about it all the time. It's the freedom
2: of movement, right? The freedom of movement, being able to go. I mean, you were able to just chuck a guy coming through the lane. He didn't have to have the ball. Uh, you know, you could be running a baseline runner, just cutting through. And guys could, you know, could hit you with a forearm. And I mean, the game was just just so much more physical, and it, it took a toll on myself. I know for sure. I've had I have enough surgeries right now, and I'm feeling it right now from from playing back then and. It's a lot different. I think the game is more skilled now the game is in a better place and you see that. But during our time, you know, you definitely had to earn your stripes from a physical standpoint.
1: So I mean, the St. Peters has fascinated me most out of all the storylines. Just watching that game, you know, a lot of people talk about how coaches are outcoached, but I don't really think they realize that at times they don't realize that it's not really being outcoached in the midst of that game. It's over the course of a season, right? And in my opinion, you know, I watched a little bit of St. Peter's in the MAC, and you could just tell right away how well coached they were. Um, what did you make of that game and just the emergence of St. Peter's and their coach, Shaheem Holloway? I'm so
2: happy for Shaheen Holloway and, his, and that group of young men. I mean, you're talking about they shook up the tournament. They're, they're, the, they're the darlings of the tournament right now. I mean, you don't have to be a St. Peter's fan, and you're cheering for those guys, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, you're just so happy for them and what they've been able to do. But so much of coaching is just coaching your team to the best of their ability. And an and unfortunate part about this tournament, sometimes it's about matchups. And you're going to get these tough matchups. When you get these high major teams and you get these dominant bigs, St. Peter's doesn't have that, right? They're going to play outside. They're going to spread you out. You know, it's their Super Bowl going against those teams. And you get some of these experienced guys with the transfer portal and everything that's happened, I think you're going to see this, you know, going forward, you know, not just this year. You know, upsets like this will become – more and more frequent.
1: Did you notice that St. Peter's was maybe playing a more modern style of basketball, you know, quick hitting offense, shooting the three while we see some spot up mid range from Kentucky in the first half? Did you see that as well? You play you, you play to your strengths. Yeah.
2: Right. And people say that all the time. And you. it doesn't matter. You recruit to your strength and you play to your strength. You know, the most dominant player for Kentucky is Oscar Sheway. So what, what good is playing a modern style of shooting three is going to do when that's your best player? So you tend to play towards your your best players and, and what your, your, the team does. And so Kentucky is not a great shooting team. I think they were a good shooting team, really streaky. And they came across a team that, that shoots the ball really, really well. You could play those teams 100 times and probably Kentucky wins 90, 98 or 99 percent of the time. I mean, 98, 99 times. And. You know, but credit to St. Peter's—they just needed to win that one time, and they're up for the challenge. They're tough kids; they're tough physically. You know, more importantly, they're tough more mentally than they are more physically, and 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 they're, sh- they're showing everyone that.
1: Yeah, I think it was a closer matchup, though. Like, I think if they played Murray State a hundred times, Murray State would not win ninety-nine, right? Like that would. be... No, no, no. I don't feel. I don't feel that way about yeah. Murray State. I, yeah, I, right. I thought they weren't as physically over. But Kentucky
2: is, you know, was a final four, a national championship team, you know, right. lottery picks on that team, NBA players on that team. And again, it just shows you that you can't measure that when you, when you collect, when you are connected and you're, you know, you're with one another as a staff and as a player and you're well coached and you understand what you are. You saw guys deferring the guys and who they wanted to go to. And, and those are the things you need to to cut down nets or to advance or pull off upsets like that. And man, I was so fun to watch those guys do that. I was just cheering for them.
1: Most definitely. Oh, uh, you mentioned Timmy earlier and what he did mm-hmm. to Memphis in the second half. Just, just nasty. Just nasty. Red <laughs> Like he, he, he really is a certified. Like he really is a bucket. What do you feel about how he has played this entire season? And just looking forward. Obviously, it doesn't seem that his game will translate to the NBA level on offense or defense, but hey, I could be wrong. Do you think he could sneak his way and have a, and have a career in the NBA eventually? You know
2: what? Again, it, it's about system and it's about fit. He doesn't, you know, you're not asking, no one is asking Drew Timmy to come in and be a star, mm-hmm. right? But is, is there a role on someone's team for that? right? Just like there's going to be someone that's going to say, hey, they're going to look at Oscar Chibwe and say, hey, I could use a 6'9", 6'10", guy physically that rebounds everything off the rim. Drew Timmy can be a maybe a reserve guy that comes in that you can run your offense through, pass through. You know, he knows how to play the game. So there's always a fit for guys. It's just a matter of finding the right fit and the timing in which that uh, we know about Chet, you know what his potential is. But Will he get there? I think they complement each other really, really well. And, and I, they, they've been one of the teams why I picked them to be – to cut down the net to be the national championship team. And the Memphis, Memphis was a tough matchup. You know, by no stretch of the imagination that yeah. I think that was going to be an easy win for those guys. Memphis fit them athletically. They were probably far superior athletically across the board. But we, we talked about it, you know, with the group, you know, as the coaches and, and people around you know, the college level was just saying how Memphis struggles at times to score. And if you're going to beat, you know Gonzaga, you're going to have to score. So we—I wasn't surprised. The second half, those guys are going to dig deep. This is a national championship runner-up with, with a huge chunk of their team returning, and they're—they're they're
1: talented enough and less holes as I think everyone else has. That's why I picked the winner. How how would you describe Timmy's game? Because he makes it look easy in the post. What is, what is it about him that you know allows him to make it look that easy and just have scoring outbursts at that rate? Well,
2: because he's his footwork. I think his footwork is outstanding. I think he's really gifted in the post. He can score. There's not a lot of guys doing that anymore. There's not a lot of players that are able to beat you inside, right? And and, and so when you do that, and you're surrounding him with all this talent around, they have perimeter shooting. They have, like I said, he takes so much pressure off check physically that allows him to roam and be that secondary shot blocker. So I, I just think they're so complete team. But to you know, for Drew. I'm a fan of his. I I had him as an All-American earlier in the year. I thought that because of the success they had last year, they dropped a few games earlier than they did you know, last year compared to last year. And people just kind of counted that against him a little bit. But he's been solid all year. He's been Gonzaga's best player. And I thought he showed himself. He showed his merit in the second half of that game, kind of putting him on his back saying, let's go and bringing that team back to win against Memphis.
1: Well, Randolph, I want you to put your coaching hat on for a second because I was kind of thinking, like, what was the way to go there? Would you double Timmy in that situation with the scoring outbreak he was having? You can say that, but at some point you try anything. You got
2: to try something. But sometimes I think people from the outside just say, "Hey, let's let's just double," and if that's not something you're accustomed to doing, you're just then you give up threes. Like you, the biggest thing about doubling isn't stopping the guy with the ball. A team like Gonzaga with so many shooters on the floor, someone's going to get an open shot. Yeah. And I don't know if you really want to play that team and start giving them open threes because now it just opens up, that, you know, it just opens up the floodgates at that point. The, I think Memphis had the right thing. You just – at times, sometimes you just try to live with, hey, let's – let's what the philosophy was, hey, let's guard everyone, guard them one-on-one, and let's see what happens. Drew Timmy was just a better person. That Now, you got to make an adjustment at some point. But doubling that team with the
1: shooters that they have, who are you gonna leave open? Yeah. Like, and what, the, the, the going I have and, to leave open somebody. And the passing, right? Like Timmy could pass, he's gonna find somebody. The, the passing and the target.
2: I mean, you, you gotta yeah. have Chet you know, Chet's cutting down a lane at, at seven feet. That's a tough rotation for any guard to get over there and see. It's a lot, it's a lot easier said than done. Just to say, hey, double them. And then what what are you willing to give up? And and every team goes into a game saying, We're gonna go in. This is our game plan. Will make this adjustment if they're doing it, but sometimes if you've done something one way all year long, and you haven't practiced that, it's very difficult this late in the year just to say, "Hey guys, go double them," because those rotations are so key. You'll end up giving up something that you know the guys will look at you like, "We hadn't done this," so you know it's easy to say it. You know, Monday morning quarterback it, but
1: yeah, if exactly. they haven't,
2: uh, but Memphis has been one of the best defenses under Penny Hardaway. They've been one of the better defensive teams in the country during his time. They've been as consistent defensive as anyone else. When a guy gets it going, it's just tough to beat him. I don't care who you are. When a really good offensive player yeah. is is going, trust me, there's nothing you can do. You just gotta, unless you're gonna double him, immediately take the ball out of his hand and dare someone else to beat you. Gonzac is talented enough because I don't think there's anyone on their roster you're just gonna leave completely open or have a late rotation to and say, hey. Can this person beat you? Because I think they've proven that they could.
1: Most definitely, they have shooters. They have a lob threat in Chet who could shoot as well. Uh, taking your coaching hat off and putting your GM hat on, um, <laughs> <laughs> where do you land on Chet, Jabari, and Paulo as NBA prospects? And who would you take first out of those guys?
2: Wow, you want to get me fired already before I get my GM front office job. Man. Like, <laughs> 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 oh, who would I take first? I'm gonna say Jabari. Mm. I I like Jabari. Then I'll take Paul and Carroll. Mm. I like Jabari Smith first. I, I just like what he does. I I I like his overall skill set. I I like him a lot. He has I'm not I hate making these comparisons, but he has that Tracy McGrady build to him, ball handling, shooting at a high percentage. I mean, he's not that. Please don't make that that misunderstanding. But he, just from a physical stature. Paulo Bencaro is, I was a huge fan of his all year long. I I thought he settled at times, but lately you've seen in the second half of the season and really not, I wouldn't even say the second half, I'd say the ACC tournament. I thought he settled a lot during the year. And then I thought against Syracuse against the zone, you saw the adjustment Duke made where they were like, look, drive the ball. You know, let's stop settling as much. And I think they've, they've been rewarded for that. So. I would say Paula ben said My only concern about Chet, Chet's ceiling could be high. Yep. Higher than both of those guys. My issue with Chet Holmgren is going to be just when you draft him, and I'll go back to – I'll use the name Jermaine O'Neal. He reminds me of Jermaine O'Neal in a sense of – he's probably a little bit taller, but when I say this, people don't understand. I was there when Jermaine O'Neal was drafted by the Portland Trailblazers, and when we drafted him. It was just the first year just going to weight room. Like, it wasn't about playing basketball with him. It was just about go to the weight room. The strength coach took him there, and that was his, his job for the year. And then we would just play, work out, do basketball stuff. He practiced with and everything else. But playing him early on wasn't even an option. It was just like get in the weight room and, and stay there. I think Chet needs something like that. I think he needs that just from a physical standpoint. I don't know if you want to throw him out there right now because he's struggling with some of the collegiate level of physicality and leverage against him. He just needs to get stronger to allow his skill set to come into play. And then after that, the sky's the, the sky's the limit.
1: Do you think it's sometimes tough to evaluate some of these top guys or even any NBA prospect just from the differences of the NCAA game and the NBA game? Because, you know, the NBA game is a little bit more free flowing. Obviously, there's more spacing around you. Um, is that difficult for you at times, or you could kind of see it through all those different rule changes and just style of play? Not with those three. <laughs> with those three. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to worry
2: about any of that with those three. I, I think some of it, like every like every organization and every team, is what do you have, right? Okay. What do you have, and what do you need? Um, you know, surrounding you. Like if you got if you draft a guy like Chet Holmgren, you need to have some veteran, some some physicality around them you just don't throw them out there and throw them in a league because as we can see confidence is a fragile fragile thing and and I don't care who you are how experienced you are everyone can struggle with confidence at time and if you draft one of these guys and you don't put them in the best position to be successful they'll lose their confidence because again you're, you're putting them against grown men and all these all three of these guys are no older than 19 years old and, and they're they're big, but that league is full of grown men, that they're already going to have a physical disadvantage. So they need guys around them to help them with the physicality. And when you look at their college teams, they have that. You know, Chet has Drew Timmy. Yep. Paula Bencaro has, you know, Mark Williams, right? And and Jabari Smith has, has Walker Kessler. So they have the bigger guys collegially to help them with the physicality of things. They just need to make sure that at the professional level that they have those surrounding guys that allow them to move and allow their skill sets to play. And that's not the case necessarily with Paulo and I mean, he's coming through the door 250. But he's a grown man ready to go and play, you know. So he just needs to, you know, to work on consistently knocking down jump shots. But I don't put anything past him. I'm a, I'm a huge fan with him. And if I was a team that ended up with any one of those three, I'd, I'd be quite happy. I just think Chet long, you know, short term, will be the one that I that I think you need to spend time getting his body ready to, to for that level.
1: Do you think Paulo's gonna have to make some big adjustments in terms of maybe a little bit less bully ball and being more of a willing spot up three point shooter at the next level? I don't think you want to make him a spot
2: up three point shooter because that's not what he is, but he is six ten and he can put the ball on the floor. So he's gonna be able to drive you, pull up mid-range shots and things of that nature. So when you start talking about that, I, I think that that's the demise of, you know, it gets, it, there's an overreaction to the NBA in that sense. I, you know, in my opinion, there's, there's teams that everyone wanted to emulate the Warriors. And there's only one Clay Thompson and, and and Steph, you know, there's only one Steph, you know, one Clay. So, and that type of makeup. Everyone else tries to emulate that pace and style without those guys. And it's just not working. You look at the, the previous two champions. I don't think the Lakers was a great three-point shooting team when they won it. And Milwaukee is not a great three-point shooting team. It's just understanding what you are and being the best at that and being efficient. And maybe one of the teams coming in will change that. But Milwaukee is not one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. They weren't. And they, you take open shots, you take good shots, particularly the three best players. You look at the Milwaukee's best players, they're not. I mean, every team will get a role guy to knock down shots. Right, but that's not the big three in Milwaukee, they're not great three point shooters. If you look at the, the you know the Lakers you know even in a bubble with you know LeBron and a d that's not what they do. They control the paint with their size and athleticism and so there's ways to win. Just understanding who you are and, and executing the game plan. It's just it's just the right way to go.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, especially if you believe that Paulo is that kind of guy that you'll be eventually be able to build around right. He's 6'10, he's 250,
2: handles the ball, pass. I, I think he's the player that comes to mind is a Derek Coleman. Wow. Yeah. And he's probably bigger, right? He's probably yeah. bigger, but he can he can snatch it, push it. You put him in the right mix of guys. I mean, he could be like a forward for you guys and you switch. He's he he's he's shown the ability that, hey, you want to put a smaller guard on me, he will punish a smaller guard. Uh, Once he consistently started knocking down the shots, then look out. He got everything else. I mean, everything else gets better. I mean, he'll be fine with that. But you don't see very many 16 guys with that ability to dribble to pass, willing defender. Uh, You know, he he needs to improve his jump shot, and I believe he will.
1: Okay, Paulo's coach, Coach K. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Paulo's coach, what a segue. But um, look, man, uh, this team knows how important this season is for Duke. Is it added pressure, is it added motivation, or is it both? I think it's more – the biggest thing
2: about Duke this year is just distractions. It's how mm-hmm. they handled distractions all year long. And this coach thing, let's co- say what we want about it. It's been a distraction. It's different. How can it not be? You know, every it, it, how can it not be? And it, it, even for Coach K, you know, this has been an emotional roller coaster for him, and deservingly so. I mean, you know, people can – like him dislike him you, you don't like Duke whatever that is he's the greatest college coach we've had and I, I've been on record saying I think he's and no one has competed harder against those guys than I have like right? I I can say I so I have some the Duke guys are really good friends of mine and I tell them I hated you guys I like you now I hated you playing against you competing against you so I I don't make any I don't think and I, I don't hold anything back with saying my, my despise for those guys but there's a Tremendous amount of respect for what they've done and what Coach K has done. And I, 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 but I do think this has been, it's so much. And if they had a veteran guy, like, you know, experienced guys like, you know, like one of the Jones brothers at point guard, and not, not to take anything away from what they have now, or any one of those guys, a bad EA as a senior, they, I just felt as though if they had senior leadership that had been there, I think it, I, I would pick them as a national championship. I think they're talented. But you're talking about 18, 19 year old kids that are just as we're winding down, they've been on campus five or six months and they're already they got a million distractions of their own. They got the coach K distractions. They have the draft distractions for their own camp, their own circle and everything else going around. They're one game away from their focus being completely shifted on their draft preparation and stuff. So. That's a lot to, to, to kind of – you have to really stay dialed in and focused in on that. But no one's better than that than Coach K. I think now that they're in this moment, this team is built for that. We'll see what happens. Anything can happen in the, in tournament as we've seen.
1: Randolph, you definitely played like you hated Duke in the ACC tournament in, uh, <laughs> in 1995. <laughs> but, um, I mean, do you think Coach K has any chance of coaching again? I mean, we've seen a lot of retirements in no. sports, and we've seen a lot of people come back talk to me is there any chance he comes back maybe not even to Duke to another school like he really still no. seems he seems fiery he seems fiery Randolph you can't you can't change that right
2: you can't change it It takes that type of passion and fire to be what he ha- what he's become mm. right I mean you, you don't just you don't just it doesn't just happen that way right it, it takes a lot and it's who he is he has the energy and passion to do it but I think it's time I, I think he knows when it's time and I think he, you know he's battled physical illness. I mean, you talked about that year in 95. He was out even back then with back issues.
1: Right. So if
2: anyone has had back issues, they, they know, you know, your back doesn't get better after, you know, nearly 30 years later, 27 years. It doesn't get better over time. It gets worse. So he's missed games this year. He's missed several games already this year. So right. I, I think it's more of if he probably feels as though he cannot give it his all, then in what he considers his standard, then it's best he stepped aside, and I believe that's part of what he's done.
1: Randolph, we talked about a lot of March Madness topics already. Or is there anything yeah. you're looking forward to for the rest of this March Madness tournament?
2: You know what? I'm just looking to see it play out. I mean, yeah. it's been fun to watch. I still, it, it. it we we've, we've seen already that anyone could win, right? Uh-huh. And, and so I, I think there's been there's been some reminders in the league when you see a, a Richmond beat. Uh, Iowa early on you see so many reminders in a league like hey if we don't show up to play St. Peter's in Kentucky if we're not ready to play we're gonna lose and so I think coach the coaches have all the reminders that they want uh, it's a fun, you know we'll get through the the sweet 16 this weekend teams get to kind of get back rest up get their preparation ready for the next two games and we'll see what happens but there's nothing like March Madness and this is this has lived up to the billing
1: Randolph Thank you so much for taking the time. It was awesome talking a little bit about your career, March Madness, and more. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on uh, social media and everywhere else? Oh,
2: on Twitter, I'm r22childrens, man. And I uh, like I said, right now, just watching these games and calling games at the field at 68. So we're out just enjoying games right now, watching, supporting my Deeks in the NIT. And and so just it's just a lot of basketball right now. It's a great time as we get ready for the NBA playoffs down the road as well.
1: Most definitely, you're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon, Randolph. Take care, appreciate you having me. Anytime.
0: There it is, what a fun conversation with Randolph. Big thanks to Randolph for joining in. Big thanks to everyone who tunes in to Combos Court across the globe. That was episode 350. Appreciate the continued support. Appreciate everyone who tunes in, who rates, who reviews, who subscribes, who shares the pod. Appreciate you all, man. And be on the lookout for episode three, Five, one, combo, out.